Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to the Wolverine.com podcast video edition. I'm John Borden and we have uh, the man of the hour here who is most graciously uh, made some time for us in a very busy season for him. Uh, he's got a date uh, down in San Antonio with the Michigan basketball team, uh, play-by-play man, Brian Bush. Brian, great to have you with us, and thanks for being on. You got it, John. Happy to be here. Well, Sweet 16 time. There are 16 teams left in college basketball. Two of them happen to be Big Ten teams. One of them happens to be a team that a lot of people were saying didn't belong in this tournament because of some of the travails and the growing that it did throughout the season, and we all know who that is. Give us your lay of the land going into uh, the Sweet 16. Well, from a Michigan standpoint, uh, you know, they certainly figured out the right time to string together a couple of wins. Uh, For them to go ping-ponging back and forth for more than a month on what we saw in Indianapolis the first trip against Indiana, I mean, listen, we all knew that what – they unearthed this past weekend was feasible. It was in the arsenal Uh, for them to unleash it on Colorado state and Tennessee, two really good teams, uh, two clubs that I I think had they emerged from this pod, they would have been threats in San Antonio. Uh, It speaks to what this team can do. And and for me, you know, the the two guys who were the stars of the show uh, really in both games, uh, they're the reason why Michigan's are Michigan's here. Hunter Dickinson and Eli Brooks, were fantastic. Uh, I, I think that was, you know, when you look back from Eli Brooks' standpoint, I, I'm sure there have been games where he maybe has defended better. Um, I, I'm not an expert on that. But from an offensive side, he's never had a better game. You think back to last year in the round of 32 against LSU, he had a game. Uh, but but this eclipsed it against one of the best defenses in college basketball. Um, you know, he, he just has a will to, to keep this thing going. Uh, and, and considering what he had to do, the the extra load that he had to shoulder, uh, you can't help but feel so good for him. The whole team, but but Eli in particular, uh, what he has meant to this club. And, and listen, Hunter Dickinson's this team's best player. He's their star. He's got to be great, um, especially if you're a double-digit seed. Your star has to be great for you to advance in the NCAA tournament. And Hunter's two for two. Yeah, and uh... – it, I, I wrote a column after that game about the big man and the old man helping this team into the Sweet 16, and uh, that's what you had. Those two standout players uh, really giving it their all and, and delivering when Michigan most needed it against the team that most, again, thought, at least nationally, was going to take Michigan down. Everybody regarded Tennessee so highly, and they played so well. But I will say this. In that game, despite the efforts of, of Dickinson and uh, and Eli, if you if you didn't have uh, other guys coming in, if you didn't have um, a freshman point guard stepping up when uh, you lose your starting point guard from the entire season all year again, if you didn't have a Terrence Williams 
with the putbacks and the toughness and other guys that contributed so much, you still might have not have gotten there. Talk a little bit about uh, some of the guys beyond uh, Dickinson and Brooks that stepped up in this last game. Well, uh, let, let's just go down the list, right? And, and I think Frankie Collins was the one who stole the headlines against the Rams. Um, you know, for him to go from from basically getting a few minutes in the first half and occasionally a few minutes in the second half to playing 30 or more minutes in both games this past weekend. Uh, and, and Dylan Burkhart had a great comparison of his usage. I think he was around 12% usage in the two games against Colorado State and Tennessee and he was north of 20% during the regular season. He, he, I do think at times he tried to force things when he was only playing six, eight minutes. He let the game come to him, and even though he didn't load up the box score by any stretch against the Vols, I thought he played really well. I, I thought he did the right things, and as a point guard, listen, sometimes you're going to be able to go off and get your points. Sometimes others are going to be hot. Others are going to be open, or others are just going to be Hunter Dickinson. That also helps. Um, T will, what he did in that second half, he played the final seven and a half minutes. I mean that, you know, we've seen Michigan go with its starting group really from that around six to eight minute mark and ride them the rest of the way. Well, Caleb Houston was struggling a little bit. He didn't have Devonte Jones and, and those two putbacks from Terrence Williams. I mean, he, I, I'm always taken back to the quote that Phil Martelli said leading into last season. Uh, and he just said, you know, Terrence Williams affects winning. And that's the perfect example. He scored six points in the second half, and it wasn't on anything drawn up for him. It was two putbacks and a two-for-two two trip to the line that was absolutely massive. So, uh, I mean, that's a young man who understands his role, embraces it. Uh, you know, we're all in the moment right now, but I'm, I'm really excited what that young man can become starting next year. I mean, he, he's got a bright future, and I think he can take that leap. Um you know, and, and, you know, Musa Diabate, he's been up and down, but we saw some flashes from him more so against Tennessee than Colorado State. Uh, and, and you think about it, John, I mean, Michigan has won two games in the last, what, two weeks, and Caleb Houston hasn't scored. So for them to be able to overcome that, and we see the effect that he can have with that right. second half against Colorado State, that just goes to show you that, that other guys are piecing it together. I think the two prerequisites are Hunter and Eli. If they don't play well – Michigan's probably in trouble, especially considering the three teams that are going to be in San Antonio alongside Michigan. Uh, but anybody else, it certainly helps. And there are guys who it's it's a you know it's a it's a scale. It's not all everybody else on the same wavelength. Uh, but if anyone else struggles, there are other options for a, a teammate to pick them up, and we saw that last weekend. Yeah. Uh, before we move on to one of those teams that uh, uh, the one that's directly ahead from Michigan. I want to uh, ask you a, a couple of other questions that are maybe peripheral to the advancement, but certainly pertinent. You saw in the arms of Juwan Howard after that game, uh, a young man that he had recruited and uh, Tennessee's excellent uh, guard. You, you, you just know, you know, the the uh, the super cynics are saying, well, Juwan's trying to uh, rehab his image and all that. Anybody that knows Juwan Howard at all knows that he is totally genuine. And that's a kid he cared about. Your thoughts on that moment and how it it kind of spread around the country. Uh, maybe not quite as much as the Wisconsin incident, but uh, but what it what it does say about Juwan. Well, just to get the, the negative folks out of this first and quickly, uh, 
the reality is that's the byproduct of what happened at Wisconsin is that you are going to have a small section, a loud minority who will say, oh, well, this is just a show. This isn't who he actually is. Check this out, blah, blah, blah. I mean, hey, I, I think I'm someone who always allows people second chances. Um, I think we all should be that way. Um, you know, and listen, what happened at Wisconsin wasn't good. It was very, very bad. Um, but it it went against decades of what we know about Jawan Howard. Um, are we going to let somebody be defined by decades or by a few split seconds and, and some bad decisions. If, if we're going to choose the latter, uh, well, I don't think I should be on a platform talking. I'm guessing a lot of people who are listening to this probably wouldn't belong on any sort of platform. We all have, yeah, we all have our moments, right? Uh, I also don't have a spotlight on me constantly. Uh, Juwan Howard does. So um, it was a special moment. It was a, a moment that, you know, the reality is it it's, you know, it's born out of, months and months of work and dedication and years and years in, in that specific dynamics case of a relationship. And I mean, listen, you hear it a lot from, from coach Howard, from others that, you know, things are bigger than basketball. Um, Michigan wants to win just like Tennessee wanted to win. But when the game's over, uh, we all become people again, uh, things move on and, you know, you, you have you have to you have a winner and a loser, but I think we're all in this together in a lot of ways. And I, I do think that that's the case in the basketball world, especially with with that relationship with Kennedy Chandler. So, you know, it's a special moment. Um, and again, I, I think when you stack up the, the good and the bad of Juwan Howard, there's a lot more of what we saw uh, this past Saturday than, than what happened last month in Madison. No doubt. And you note that. Uh... After the game, it's people and a couple of the people that were uh, very close and have been very meaningful to Jawan Howard uh, embraced him. That would be uh, one Chris Weber and Ray Jackson. We know jo uh, that Jalen Rose was uh, around for the previous game against Colorado State. Your thoughts on uh, on the uh, Fab Fivers uh, swooping back around and being a couple of them being involved in the uh, in the post game speech in the locker room. Well, it was cool because uh, you know Chris Weber. Uh, we all saw the video uh, that Michigan put out. Um, he he said something not quite as passionate and not quite as uh, emotional, but similar to, to my broadcast partner Terry Mills, just saying, "Hey, tell everybody that I'm I'm back. You know, I'm I'm here. I want to be involved. I want to be around." Um, and you know, we all know kind of that background and that story. Um, and I mean, listen, in, in Juwan Howard's introductory press conference, Ward Manuel was asked about the banners, was asked about the Fab Five. This, you know, we all knew that this was going to be a story, a part of the conversation, a part of the narrative. Um, listen, time heals a lot of wounds. Time allows people to, you know, explain themselves. Time allows for people to, to understand the big picture. Um, case in point, what, ex what we experienced with Juwan Howard a month ago. Um, you know, it's an opportunity to do that. And regardless, you know, Chris Weber wasn't there. Ray Jackson wasn't there for that. They were there to support Juwan Howard. They were there to support Michigan basketball. Um, and whatever, you know, if, if that's what, you know, if that's the catalyst, if that's the spark to get that, then I think everybody's better off for it. The players, the coaches, the fans, uh, those individuals themselves. Um, and I thought it was it was great to see and, and listen, but you know, uh, C Web and, and Ray were right behind us. They were loud, like they contributed to this, just like Jalen did. He was on the other side. I could, you know, we saw him 
we heard the other two on Saturday. They were very involved, and uh, hey, tip tip your cap to them. They they helped this uh, this victory on Saturday too. There you go. A couple of hardcore Michigan fans who uh, have been there and uh, and know what these players are going through. Let's move forward. Thursday night down in San Antonio, you've got Michigan and Villanova, not the Villanova team that Michigan lost to a few years back in the national championship game, uh, but still a formidable opponent, uh, one that, you know, there's some teams, as you look at some of the teams that they've lost to, you say, well, Michigan has more of a chance in this game than what your seeding might say to people that don't know anything about these teams. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the thing that I look at, I mean, they've they they really did challenge themselves. I mean, they they didn't lose to a team that uh, did not go to the NCAA tournament. Um, I think the thing that stood out to me in watching the game against Ohio State was Michigan's had three straight wins where they've come from behind, and I'm not saying that Michigan is unable to do the same against Villanova, but. The longer you drag that out, if you're down, the tougher and tougher it is because they do a lot of things that are required at this stage of the season really, really well. They average 10 turnovers a game, so they're not going to hurt themselves very much. They are the best free throw shooting team potentially ever, not just this season, potentially ever. Uh, That is a massive asset, and they are very comfortable with taking their time. They are one of the slower tempo teams in all of college basketball. They want to drag things out. So them bleeding 20 seconds worth of a clock before getting into their offense with three minutes to go up five is not a, is not a reaction to the game. It is what their DNA is. Uh, this team to me is, is very similar to some of the Virginia teams that you know won, won the national championship. Others have gotten deep. Uh, I think that's similar to kind of the Jay Wright M.O., um, yeah, it's not the 2018 team. I mean, you know, uh, I know there are a lot of Michigan fans that, that, you know, are, are still, you know, sad about 2018, but Villanova would, we, we can all get mad about 2013, 2018 Villanova. Would, I mean, they won every NCAA tournament game by 10 plus they were, I mean, that was great. This is not that team. I know, I know Gillespie's still on there. Uh, there, you know, there, there is a, there is a fingerprint on that. Jay Wright's still there. Uh, but but they are just so fundamentally sound, and I was I was surprised at how many people um, were kind of doubting them. I heard a lot of bracket analysts. I didn't see a lot of Villanova in the Final Four. I didn't see a lot of Michigan either. But um, you know maybe that's a hat tip to Arizona um, as the one seed. Uh, but I, this is a two seed that I mean they they're really good. Um, this is this can be a tough out just like Tennessee, but as we saw uh, Michigan, if they play well, if they're top two, do what they can do. They've got a real chance. You mentioned their deliberateness on offense. Now, does this, uh, is this acceptable to Michigan? Is it an okay, we can, we can play that kind of game or is it something that uh, you would expect Michigan to try to force them out of? I don't necessarily think they're going to try to force them out of it. Uh, I do think Michigan's going to want to play the faster game. I think it'll be very obvious to see, okay, you know, 10 minutes into the game, I think we're going to know who's dictating the tempo. Uh, 
uh, I think it's that significant, but I don't think it's a lifeblood, you know, re- you know, required way for Michigan to be able to play by going up and down. You'll, I guarantee you, you'll see Juwan Howard do that big motion and try to force his players from the defensive side of the floor to the offensive side off of a rebound. We'll see that a few times, but no, I, I don't think, and again, I haven't watched every Villanova game, but, but watching the game, uh, watching a few of theirs against uh, Big East foes in their tournament when they won that league title, um, you know, they, they don't want to have as many possessions. And, you know, against a team like Michigan that has a big, like Hunter Dickinson, that they just don't have the size to, to go up against. They've got great players, but, you know, they don't have somebody who can be that one-on-one cover against Hunter. They'd love to, to minimize the touches because of how efficient Hunter has been. For the more casual fan or maybe the uh, the Big Ten-oriented fan who is not uh, deeply familiar with Villanova, who would you say – who would you tell them to, to look out for in this game? Uh, in terms of – you talk about a comp or just players to watch? I'm talking about players to watch for Villanova and, and – ones that uh, have really hurt people all year. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it starts with Colin Gillespie. I mean, the dude's shooting 42% from three. Uh, I mean, he's he's an elite-level shooter. Uh, he's, you know, willing and able to get players involved. I think he's their assist leader. Um, so, I mean, what he brings – I mean, he, he's he's the head of the snake, as we hear a lot from, from different teams. Um, you know, in, in the game against Ohio State, uh, tough not to be impressed with Jermaine Samuels. Uh, he's a guy who, you know, he's not their focal point by any stretch, um, but good rebounder. Uh, he's going to be a hassle on the inside. Again, not the biggest dude in the world, but, um, you know, certainly watch out for him. But but for me, I mean, Gillespie, you know, I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure people in the Big Ten are like, man, when the heck is Eli Brooks leaving this league? I'm guessing there's a lot of people in the Big East who feel the same way about Gillespie. To me, he, you know, he's probably going to get his. Uh, but, you know, outside of Kennedy Chandler, you know, with those second half, you know, blow buys to the basket, you think about the the best players on both Colorado State and on Tennessee. Michigan was able to neutralize the David Roddy's, the Isaiah uh, Stevens of the world on Colorado State. We didn't see anybody really other than Chandler go off. Um, you know, if Urosh Plavchich is going to be the guy who's, you know, playing the best on Tennessee, you'll take it. Um, you know, if, if Michigan can tilt Colin Gillespie to a 50th percentile game, that that would serve Michigan really well. So I know you are not Dr. Bush, and uh, I suspect you're not staying in a Holiday Inn Express in San Diego, uh, not San Diego, that would be San Antonio. Uh, but as you look at this game, so many people are wondering about Devontae Jones. Gets uh, has to miss that first game concussion. Uh, was not clearly himself in when he tried to play, and I know he took a another bang to the head. H- how? Uh, I guess what's what is your uh, expectation level or optimism level that he can come back? I know he's. Uh, he's feeling good and has uh, or has proclaimed that he's going to be uh, back in this thing. How do you look at, at it at this point? So it was communicated to us during the game on Saturday that it was an illness that cost him the second half, but that they, they expect him to be fine. Um, so to me, it wasn't, you know, it's, 
it's going to be vague. That's kind of how it goes. But I think the main point of that was that, it, that I don't think it was it was tied to what he was going through via concussion protocol. Um, I don't know that, but that's what I gleaned from how it was approached, from how Devonte looked after the game. Again, you're right. I'm not a doctor. I don't know. Um, but to me, I think it was just kind of a couple of, you know, he, he hit two potholes on the drive, right? Like they were two separate things. I think they're unrelated. Um, I mean, this is a young man who, who gave up social media for a while and he made it a point to tweet out that, you know, he's, he's ready, um, or that he's healthy, I think is how he put it. So, um, you know, I, I think he'll be all right. Uh, I, I'd be pretty surprised if he didn't play and play a decent amount. Uh, but now, um, I think you can, you know, really mix things up, Devontae Jones and Frankie Collins. I, 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 this is why I'm not paid the big bucks to figure out what I would do from a rotation standpoint, from a starting lineup standpoint, from a stretch run standpoint. I don't know what you would do. It's probably dependent on the game. Um, you know, I, I've likened it to, uh, you know, if you play like a racing video game, like a, like a Mario Kart, Devontae Jones is that 50 CC, Frankie's that 100 where they both can do it, but Frankie's just a little faster. Devontae's a little more deliberate. Um, that's not, you know, good or that's not good or bad, or it just that's just how I see it. Um, I'll be fascinated how that goes. And and I think that's, you know, it's it's not gonna be something Juwan Howard and his coaching staff unveils because I think it's it's gonna be something that Jay Wright and company are gonna be sitting there scratching their head about too. All right. Well, you anticipated my next question in terms of how you uh, divide up the time between those guys, and we'll all get to see that. But let's wrap it up with this. I mean, your gut feeling about this one, Michigan, has certainly been the surprise of the tournament in terms of the people that are left, other than St. Peter's, of course. Uh, Give me your gut feeling on this one and how it goes and – whether or not Michigan can make it one more uh, weekend in the tournament. You know, it's interesting. I was, I was looking back at, you know, some of the previous sweet 16 games. And I think we all, because there's three or four days of expectation, we kind of get a pause in the tournament. You just, you know, anyone's going to talk themselves into the game being close. The last three sweet 16 games for Michigan have been over by what early second half, two wins, one loss, um, you know, the Texas Tech game being the loss, but just throttling Texas A&M. And then last year, a blitzing Florida State down the stretch. Um, I don't – maybe this is just me being naive and saying, well, hey, I'm going to talk myself into a close game. But I, I just – I think both these teams have, have ways to hurt the other team offensively. Uh, I don't anticipate there being some big 15-0 run that allows one team to go on a huge, a huge run. Um, and take control of the game. To me, this feels like it's down to the, down to the wire, sitting there with eight, ten minutes left. Uh, and why I'm fascinated about that is because, again, do you roll? Do you ride with Frankie or Devontae? Uh, Terrence Williams was great. Do you have him in there in stretch time? Uh, what will Caleb Houston give you? Because he has to be better than what he was. You know, he only shot the ball four times against Tennessee. Um, so in terms of a feel – I don't know, but um, I do think that uh, this game is not a two eleven game in roster, right? In talent, that's not what this is. This feels more like a a two three or maybe a two six type of a game, um, which means again we we've talked about it. We talked about it last week. The seeds mean nothing at this point. It's about matchups. Villanova is really good. They don't terrify me. 
if I'm being honest, uh, a potential Elite Eight game as a rematch with Arizona, that kind of terrifies me. But then they almost lost to TCU. So what do we all know? This is a one-game deal. Who the heck knows? Uh, and you know what? Jay Wright's a heck of a coach, but we've seen Juwan Howard in his first matchup with some legends get a win. So yeah. uh, I like their chances. And, uh, hey, let, let's let's flip the script in San Antonio a little bit. All right. We'll see. Uh, he is Brian Bush, and you can uh, hear him with Terry Mills on Thursday night, bringing you all the action uh, from San Antonio and the Michigan Radio Network. Brian, great to have you with us and appreciate so much your contributions, your observations, and uh, travel well. Hope to do it next week, John. Thanks.